0: We're excited for this series, and it's going to be an amazing series, and I don't just say that because I could be the one to kick it off, okay? It's not a selfish thing. We're going to be talking about things over the next three weeks that we believe are truly foundational for anybody who considers themselves a Christian or a follower of Jesus. These are the three things that we just have to get right. And that's what we're going to be talking about starting today. A popular question, anybody who's kind of grown up in in church or been around Christian culture has probably heard, is the question, what would Jesus do? Okay, anybody familiar with that? Remember the old bracelets, WWJD? I think we have a picture here. How many wore these bracelets? Anybody actually wore these bracelets? Okay. Um, But this is a great question. That kind of can shape a lot of things that we do. But I love it because this is also a huge fad from the 1990s, which I believe is one of the greatest generations of all time. Uh, My adolescence was during the 90s. Um, But this was a huge fad during that time. And I think fads are just fascinating because you can take something – that maybe you don't really like, but if somebody else or a group of people, if they like it, if they embrace this thing, whatever it is, suddenly we find ourselves liking it too, or we make ourselves like it because everybody else is. And some of these fads are just absolutely crazy, and uh, I wanted to take a look at a few examples of fads this morning, and we're going to go back all the way to the 50s. Um, our very first one here, for example, ant farms. Uh, who here, did anybody have an ant farm growing up? Any ant farms? Ant farms. Okay, there's a few shorthands, people not wanting to identify, I understand that, um, but it's about exactly what it says. It's an ant farm. This is a huge fad, and I don't think we see as much. There's still some these days, but in the 50s, ant farms were huge. Uh, our next one, which is the big head scratcher uh, from the 60s, uh, the pet rock, okay? I'm just so confused and have so many questions. Does anybody here own a pet rock? Anybody, anybody want to be honest today? Okay, I don't blame you either. Okay, you can tell me later. Um, but get this: I, I talked about this first service, and somebody sent me a text with a website. It said the guy who created this sold 1.5 million pet rocks, which totaled six million dollars. I mean, can you imagine that? There's a lot of rocks out here. Okay, so if we just want to start shoveling those up later, but pet rocks—they were a huge fad. Uh, next, we go to the 70s. Platform shoes, come on. Who had platform shoes? Okay, now I see some hands going up. I have no idea how these work, to be honest. It just looks painful and awkward, and I can't imagine uh, walking on these things. Um, another thing, hairdos have seen lots of different fads. and I wanted to show you uh, a few different hairdo fads, courtesy of our children's pastor, Connor Haugen. Uh, let's see a few pictures of Connor's hairdos over the years. Um, that is really Connor um, from a few years ago his hair at one point he said it was, you know, back kind of shoulder length, which is kind of crazy you can see here. We got a few more shots because he's had a lot of different hair fads. And I told him I was going to show some of these, so it's okay. Uh, This was during his running years where he had the full beard and the ponytail. And I love this and the next photo because you just see the look of determination on his face. Um, You don't see that look when he's down teaching your kids, okay? So don't worry about that. Um, But go to the next one because it gets a little crazier even. Look, that's that was his cornrows uh, fad phase, there were long hair, cornrows, ponytail, and the last one, just to top it all off here, it's a little bit closer example, um, that just speaks volumes to different hair fads, and I'll be honest, we did not see these photos before we hired Connor, um, <laughs> and it's probably for the better, because he's great, he's great, uh, his hair uh, was not so great. Um, but all kinds of hair fads through the generations. Um, another thing we get into more of the 90s, who remembers fanny packs? Yep, fanny packs were a huge deal. I love the brightly colored one here. I mean, this is just vintage 90s colors and everything. But fanny packs, are a very great way to carry lots of things right around your waist. Pockets are empty. Fantastic. I want to do a little show and tell with you this morning as well because a few things that I personally still have, which are from two of the best fads um, that I would say. And the first one here, oh, wrong direction, are these bad boys. Okay, who remembers these? Zubas, right? Yeah. I'll just kind of let both sides see these nice and clear. And these aren't like the early 2000s, you know, rebrand of Zubas. Like, No, these are vintage, okay? I've worn these. I've played softball in these, like all kinds of crazy things. Uh, my goal is to be able to pass them down to my children someday and to their children's children and so on and so forth. But even these, I mean, just the colors are fantastic. And then even we get into the early 2000s. And um, these things were kind of a big craze, which this is also my personal one. Uh, remember, does anyone know what this is? The Snuggie. the Snuggie, yes. And I'll just kind of put it on here briefly to show you what this is. Um, this is the blanket with sleeves, okay, for those of you who don't know what the Snuggie is. And I think this has gotten a bad rap because, honestly, think about it. Your whole body stays warm now. It's not just your waist when you're watching a movie. If you spill chips, it catches it. Your clothes are fine, okay, multi-purpose. Lastly, you can turn this bad boy around and it becomes a robe, okay? So it's like the ultimate blanket, robe, crumb-catching mechanism all in one. And it comes in your favorite team's colors, okay? Soft, comfortable. If anybody wants to try it on afterwards, come find me because it's very comfortable. Um, these are examples of different fads throughout time, some better than others, uh, if, we, if we could be honest. But I find these things very fascinating because you could take something like a pet rock, why would anybody want a pet rock? That's stupid. I can go pick up a rock anywhere. But all of a sudden, you get some people that you look up to, have a pet rock, and suddenly it's like, "Hmm, it's not so stupid of an idea after all. I want to buy a pet rock. And that's the 1.5 million pet rocks get sold, okay? Because all of a sudden, it takes a few people that buy one, and it might be somebody that you look up to or that you want to hang out with. Like, if it's cool enough for them, I'm going to do it. And suddenly we find ourselves doing things or buying things that we might not even like or care about, but people we look, look up to might like and care about them. So we find ourselves doing those very things. And because deep down, I think here's the reason why. And it's our very first film today. Is that we all share the need to feel loved and accepted. We all share this need to feel loved and accepted. And that's why sometimes we find ourselves giving in to these fads or doing things that we normally wouldn't do because we want to feel loved and accepted. Whether you're five years old or 50 years old or whatever age you might be, that need never goes away. Every single one of us in here, for honesty, we said we have this need and the desire to feel loved and accepted. So I want you to think about a couple things this morning as we start off. First, I want you to just take a brief moment and think about a time in your life that you were so fulfilled or it was such a joyful time for you. Just take a second, think about a moment like that. Then, on the flip side. I want you to try to take a moment and think of a time that was maybe hurtful or a disappointing time or a hard time for you to walk through. And see, as we think about these things, I think we find some common denominators. I think it would be safe to say that for a good majority of us when we think of all these times that are joyful or happy, um, our, first, our next film here is that times of fulfillment or joy are the result of feeling loved or accepted in some capacity. We feel fulfilled or full of joy. There's a component to that, that we're feeling loved or accepted in some capacity. I think of a time where I moved out to uh, Indianapolis for a year. I was doing an internship at a church out there, and I only knew Ryan and Terry. I didn't know anybody else out there. Uh, so I was going out to this brand-new place, and I lived with a family. It was a host family for a year. And the way that they opened their doors and opened their lives to me and made me feel loved and accepted has completely made that here just unbelievable. You know, it could have just been a simple thing where I was just, you know, basically somebody staying in a room for a year and not much interaction, but the way they loved me and cared for me and accepted me, never met me before in their lives. Man, that made me feel so loved because they opened their lives up to me. I felt so full of joy. And one thing... I love about the time I spent there. I mean, they would, you know, help me with anything I needed. It basically became like a family away from home is what it was. Uh, But there was a time that I was cooking myself some dinner, and, you know, thankfully it was a good thing and a bad thing, but my mom did a lot of cooking for me growing up, so maybe I wasn't paying attention along the way, but I thought I would cook myself some mac and cheese at this house. And so I I drained the noodles, I put the noodles back in the pan, and I put the pan back on the stove, and the burner was on. I didn't think anything of it until all of a sudden it started smoking, and there was burnt noodles attached all to this pan. And now I was like, I just ruined this pan and almost started to fire in this house that I'm staying in. But the mom was so nice. She came up to me, and she said, in the future, if you're hungry or you want something to eat, just let me know, and I'll gladly make it for you. And like a light bulb went off, I was like, wait a minute. This is genius. If I would have known, I would have done this like day one, just burnt a pan, and this would have been scot-free. But there was such love and acceptance that made that time so amazing because of what they expressed towards me. But you see, on the flip side here, I believe that the same is true where I think it's safe to say for a good majority of us in your next film that difficult or hurtful times are often the result of a lack of love or acceptance. Those hard times you walk through, we can usually look at and see a lack of love or acceptance in some capacity. So if this is the case, I think it's a very safe thing for us to say that feeling loved and accepted, but also helping make sure others feel loved and accepted are two very important things. So the question becomes, how do we do this? Where do we start? It's a great question. As we begin to look at this, I want to take a look at something the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Ephesus. And he wrote this, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. He says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. There's another version of the Bible called the Message Version, which basically kind of tries to put some of these Bible passages into modern-day language for us. And I love the way that it translates this message, at just drilling this point across. The Message Version, version puts it, simply watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. Not cautious, but extravagant. Then you hear this. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. He didn't love in order to get something from us. He loved in order to give everything he had to us. Love like that. As I was reading over these two verses, it's just a short passage, but I was trying to think, what, what, what part can I highlight? But I kept wanting to highlight the whole thing because it's so good. Watch what God does and does it. It's as simple as that that's what God is asking us to do. You see, there was nothing selfish about Jesus's love. His love was and is all in for you, and it's all in for me. And if we decide to follow Jesus and make him the leader of our lives, we get to be on his team. And now we get to be his messengers of hope and love to those around us. That's why I would say this since our next film today, is that our love for God is best expressed in our love for others. Our love for God is best expressed in our love for others. You see, this is the proof, the secret sauce where the rubber meets the road. Whatever other cliche I couldn't think of, this is what it all boils down to, how well we love others. And if you don't quite believe that, let's take a look at what Jesus himself said in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus says this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart heart. With all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's the first and greatest. And I hear these next couple words A second is equally important. Not that there's a distant second, not that there's something else that you might want to consider. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God, love others. And I love that he says the second is equally important. That's it. You see what I love is here is that by the time that Paul and Peter and John and Jesus' own brother James started writing down their accounts of what Jesus was doing And we read about in the Bible today. By the time they're writing these things, they just skipped the very first one about loving God because they figured someone that we're writing to, they love God, but we need to just emphasize this loving other thing. And here's what they all wrote. Romans 13.8, Paul says, If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. Plain as that. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4.8, Most important of all, okay, Pretty big deal. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Before you think about doing anything else, most important of all is continue to show deep love for each other. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. That's straight to the point and straight to the heart too. I can't say I love God, but then mistreat somebody because those two things aren't compatible. And I love how blunt he says that person is a liar. And lastly, Jesus' brother James writes this It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures love your neighbor as yourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this emphasis on loving others as the shape that our spirituality should take is absolutely captivating. You see, the entire first century church begins to teach about loving each other and the importance of doing that. And really it talks about it being the primary emphasis, emphasis of growing spiritually. I mean, Why do they put this great emphasis on there? It's because they believe this. It's because our faith is in relationships. Our faith grows through relationships. And your next in here is that our spirituality is worked out in community with each other. Our spirituality is worked out in community with each other. That's why we do small groups. That's why we stress be involved in a group, a community of people going in the same faith direction that you are that can help you grow spiritually. You know, I think back to my teenage years. I had a group of friends in youth group. There was probably about a dozen of us guys, all fairly close in age. We all came from different schools, different backgrounds. Not many of us knew each other before meeting at youth group. But the bond that we all had and still have here too many years to want to think about later, but the bond that we all had helped us all to grow spiritually, to grow into young men, and now somewhat older men. But those relationships not only had a huge impact on my faith journey, but then in turn had a huge impact on the whole trajectory of my life. And the same is true for all of us that when we surround ourselves with people, go in the same faith direction we are, our faith grows and that shapes every other aspect of our lives. See, the entire emphasis for the first century church, the early church, the people who walked with Jesus, saw what he did, is to love others and that you show your love for God in this way. By loving others. That was it. There is no long list of this is how it's just love others. This is how you love God, by loving others. And see, here's, here's a dangerous thing. When you tell religious people to start by loving God, it's easy to not get around to the loving others part. It's I'm going to focus on loving God, loving God, loving God. And if that's just all the point, I can focus so much on that and suddenly it's very easy for us to start getting this holier-than-thou complex. Where I'm just going to keep loving God, loving God, loving God at the expense of, helping others learn who God is and learn of God's real love for them. And it's a tension, I think, that we all kind of struggle. with somewhere on our faith journeys. It's the idea that I love God so much so I can judge or I can condemn and I can kind of keep you on the outside because I love God so much that I can't risk this influence on my life because I love God so much. But that's missing entire point of what jesus is telling us here ryan's going to talk more about that next week but along the same vein i read this quote from author and communicator bob goff this week who is just amazing i encourage you to read anything he does but he said this and it's completely rocked me when i read it he said our problem following jesus is we're trying to be a better version of us rather than a more accurate reflection of him we're trying to be a better version of us as opposed to more accurate reflection of him. And here's the ironic thing. When we focus on being a reflection of Jesus, if we lean into him first, let me tell you, you're going to be the best possible you you could ever be. That's going to take care of itself because we're connected to the source of all good things. But when we get those things backwards, when we think we can do it ourselves, I can make myself holy, suddenly we drift away from our dependence on God and what his love has done for us. And suddenly it's very easy to shun people who are far from him or who are new to faith because we're just so focused on loving God, loving God, loving God at the expense of showing that love to other people. And because of this, because of this tension is real, the first century church was super intentional to not allow that to happen through their everyday lives and behavior. So they put this emphasis always to start on loving people. And some might say, but isn't loving God an important thing? Well, yes. Absolutely. We you got to understand, the audience for the people writing these books and these letters and for Jesus were people who had already said, I'm going to follow you. So there was already this love for God that was mutually agreed upon. So yet when there are people who are already following Jesus, he's saying, I know that you love God because you're following me, but now I need you to show your love for me by how you take care of the people that I love, by how you treat the people that I love. And that led Jesus to say this. In John 13, 34, Jesus is talking to these disciples, and he says to them, a new command I give you. And in my mind, I'm thinking Jesus is probably like, all right, dummies, listen up, okay? <laughs> A new command I give you, that means this is very important, something new. A new command I give you, love one another, okay, we've probably heard that before, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It wasn't love God, love God, love God, therefore, if you love God enough, no matter who gets in your way to doesn't matter. Just love God, love God at the expense of any type of collateral damage to other people. Love God. No. Jesus is saying, I already know that you love God. Now show others that same love by how well you treat them. You see your next feeling here? That the greatest love is when you are committed to giving value to those whom God values. The greatest love is when you're committed to giving value to those whom God values. You know, recently, there was this horrific tornado that went through a tornado that went through Nashville and just left all kinds of destruction in its path. And just, I mean, they're still cleaning up, and it's going to be so much time before anything gets back to normal there. Uh, but I was so encouraged just because I was reading just different stories and articles about that, and I heard of a church from Alabama who didn't have any connection to the area, but they just felt a need to respond. They felt this need, how can we love these people through this tragedy? So they got, and I don't remember if it was a church bus or a van, and they just drove to where the chaos and the destruction was. And they just said, you know, we're going to go and we're just going to help. Whatever that takes, whatever that looks like, whatever we can do, we're going to help. Because no matter who the person was, they had no idea who these people were, but they were committed to bringing value of any kind to these people who God values. Bringing value to those who God values. And let me just fill you in on a little secret. That means everybody. We don't get to pick and choose. It's not just the people that have the same faith beliefs as we do. That have the same political beliefs as we do. That grew up in the same area that we do. That have the same interests as we do. There's no exception to this rule. We need to love those around us, period. There's no comma, there's no but, there's well. No. Those who God puts around us, we're called to love them and to bring value to theirs because God values them. But like we've been talking about, that doesn't always come natural or easy. So, how do we do that? The answer to your next fill in here is that staying connected to Jesus empowers our ability to love. Staying connected to Jesus empowers that ability to love. You see, the more we learn about Jesus and the more we follow him and the guidance of his spirit, it never leads us away from love, but it always leads us towards love because God is love. So when we make that our habit, to lean in to him, to stay connected to him, it's going to enable us to love others well. And I would say this to you. If you're feeling that you're not doing a great job at loving others well, Here's where you start. You don't start with a huge set of rules, a huge set of regulations. Okay, if I do all these things, you know, if I modify my behavior in this way, this will help me. No. The best place to start is to pray. And ask Jesus to transform your heart to be more like him. Because I tell you, the more you become like Jesus and the more you connect to him, the more loving you will become. And that's what God wants from all of us. You see, Jesus never came just so that our behavior would be modified. Okay, that's, not, that's way too simple. beneath Jesus came to transform our lives. And that's what the power of his love does. When Jesus' love hits you, there's something so life-changing about that. It's not just, oh, I'm going to stop doing this. No, it's a complete transformation of who we are. We're no longer the person we are, but God transforms us into a new creation. And that enables us to love others well. The next verse here, we just read John 13:34 and 13:35. Jesus goes on to continue to say. He then says, "By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you go to church on Sundays." That doesn't sound quite right, does it? Uh, let's try it one more time. 13:35, uh, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you call yourself a Christian, right? Let's put on the label, "Hey, everybody, I'm a Christian, okay? Does't matter how I treat you now. <laughs> I'm a Christian, so we're, we're good. No, that's not how it works. All right, I think we got it right here. By this, everyone know you're my disciples if you frequent Chick-fil-A, okay? Everyone knows, great Christian organization. Some of the best chicken you'll ever find. Um, Okay, so the first two are not most accurate, but I think the third one is pretty close. I really wish I could go there for lunch today, Uh, but unfortunately, they're closed on Sundays, okay? Just great organization. Just wish they were open on Sundays. But here's what it comes down to. Jesus boils it down John thirteen thirty five. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. If you love one another. Simple as that. See, Jesus is saying, if you don't love one another, you're not close to me. It's as simple as that. If you don't love each other, you're probably not as close to me as you think you really are because you wouldn't treat others that way if we were really that close. You see, it doesn't matter how many Bible stories you know, how often we serve at church, how often we volunteer at soup kitchens, how loud we sing on Sunday mornings, how many posts we make on social media about being at church or this event or all this stuff. All those things are good things. But the proof of our love, of our connection to Jesus, is how well we truly love one another with our actions and with our deeds. That's the expression of our love. Our love. People will know we're followers of Jesus by how we love each other. Your next in here, there's a direct correlation between your love for people and your love for God. We can't separate those two. A direct correlation between your love for people and your love for God. They're tied together. The second is as important. Jesus' very words, the second is as important. We can't separate it. And put it this way, you might have heard this example before. But it's I can't say I love somebody and that we're close and then go ahead and treat their kids badly, right? It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. See, I was testing out some of my messages this week with my nine-year-old son, which I think is always a great filter for any time you're speaking publicly because kids can be brutal and say that sounds terrible. It doesn't make any sense. But it can also kind of help you make sure that what you're saying it's clear. And so we're driving somewhere, and he's asking me what I was talking about today, which is just a weird question for a nine-year-old to ask. Cause I'm like, why do you even care that much, buddy? It's pretty incredible, but okay. So I told him about, hey, we're talking about the importance of loving others and how that's actually a reflection of our love for God. He's like, okay. And I said, here's an example. If somebody's my friend, and they say they love me and that we're, you know, we're on good terms, if they turn around and are mean to you and treat you bad... Do you think I'm going to be happy with that? And he said, no, of course not. I said, exactly. I said, but the same is true with how well we treat other people. Because we're all God's children. So the way we treat everybody around us, whether it's at school, at work, at home, wherever it may be, the way we treat those people, it's a direct reflection of our connection with God. And we just can't separate those two. You see, many of us are familiar with the golden rule, treat others the way you like to be treated, right? We probably had that ingrained into us from a young age. But the rule that Jesus just shared in these verses takes the rule to a whole new level. And we call it the platinum rule because obviously platinum is better than gold. I didn't make this up, okay, so if you don't like it, or if it's cheesy, whatever. Uh, But we call it the platinum rule because it takes it to the next level. And in this verse we read just a minute ago, Jesus said, here's this new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. You see, it doesn't get any better than that. There's no more being able to one up, well, I love you this much, well, I love you this much. No, Jesus just puts an end to the whole debate, okay? Love each other as I have loved you, because there's no greater love than to lay down one's life, and that's what Jesus did. So there's no more debate. There's no more, well, 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 no. Love each other as I have loved you. Simple as that. So That's the rule. We are to love others the way Jesus loves us. And this certainly ups the ante. This certainly changes things. So now that is the filter which we see others through. So if Jesus commands us to love one another, we need to ask this question. And I know we've shared this before in various messages here on Sunday mornings, but this is all things that I guarantee you can never hear enough. I can never hear enough. But it's this question, and I want to encourage you every single day, how do we start with this question? What does love require of me? That's your last feeling. What does love require of me? At work, at home, in my marriage, with my kids, with my neighbors, on my sports team, what does love require of me? That is now the filter through which we treat people. What does love require of me? No more hiding behind this huge list of rules and laws and commandments. It's as simple as this. What does love require of me? And see, this causes us to dive into the good, the bad, and the ugly of people's lives. But that's where Jesus wants us to be. To bring love in any situation. So that's why every day we ask this question. What does love require of me? We're about to wrap up here this morning. Before I do that, I wanted to look at a couple of these songs we sang earlier. I just love our time of being able to sing and to worship God because not only is it a time for us to sing of God's great love for us while also expressing our love back to him, this also can be a way for us to reflect on his love for others and how we can help spread that to them. So I just wanted to read a few of these lines that we sang earlier, but through a little bit different perspective, through a different lens. That lens is, how I can love others better in light of these words that we're singing and hearing. You know, we sang that song, Living Hope. It says, The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. Your salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. And what an awesome message to be able to declare, to be able to accept. But let's look at that through perspective of how we love others. You know, think of it this way. It says, the cross has spoken. You know, we are forgiven, or they are forgiven. The king of kings calls them his own. Beautiful savior, they're yours forever. Jesus Christ, our living hope, their living hope, Hallelujah, praise the one who set them free, or who has the power to set them free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on them. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, our living hope, their living hope. Well, the song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, we sang. You know, my chains are gone and I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. But now when we consider maybe the people sitting next to us this morning and that we came to church with, or that we see on a regular basis, maybe their chains are gone. Or God, you have the power to remove their chains. They've been set free. your God, please set them free. My God, my Savior, you have the power to ransom them, or you have ransomed them, and like a flood, His mercy reigns—an ending love, amazing grace. An ending love, amazing grace. You see, we we sing these songs and we hear these words, and they're so powerful to us. But it's the way God feels about all of us, and not just in this building but in every walk of your life, that's how God feels about every single person. You see, I love both these songs. They both sing about chains being broken in our lives or being set free and the freedom that we find only in Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. God just doesn't set us free just to be free from these things. It's so much better than that. We are now free to be able to fully love and to fully love one another. Because up until then, we've never experienced what the power of God's love feels like in our lives until we just surrender to him. But once we experience that, once that sets us free, we are now free to love others like we never have been before. We're now free to bring the message that we sing in these songs into our everyday lives with people and to meet them in their mess and to tell them about a Jesus who loves them. And we show them how much he loves them by our own genuine love. them and that's amazing God there's nothing we can do to earn it but God you just choose to love us right where we're at God we thank you for how life changing that is for us and my prayer this morning is that that great love for us would just extend to every other area of our lives and all those around us and God our reaction to that love be to love others well, however that may look, whatever relationship that may look like, God, that that love, God from you, God would just cause us to love others. God, that we wouldn't overcomplicate any of this, but God, we would just listen and trust Your command to love each other the way that You love us. So I haven't prayed that throughout this week that every day you would help us to start by connecting with you and asking you to help us love each other well and ask that question, what does love require of me today? And Lord, as you help us, I pray to give us the courage to live those things out and put that love into action. So God, we thank you that you are our foundation and we commit to staying plugged into you. God, being imitators of you, every area of our lives.